You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, today is the great, glorious, wonderful PFF day. It's the day where we dive in a little bit deeper to understand how it is the Green Bay Packers got to 10 and 3, tied for the most wins in the NFL. I understand for some of you that may no longer be accurate. Understand that it is 6.30 Central Time, meaning it's 45 minutes until the Arizona Cardinals and L.A. Rams game starts. Go Rams. But, uh, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. A little bit of news and notes from around the league. Um, Josh Gordon has been placed on the COVID list. Josh Gordon, if you didn't know, is a Kansas City Chief these days, but he will not be playing Thursday against the Chargers, which doesn't seem like a big deal. But uh, keep in mind, the Chargers do play the Kansas City Chiefs pretty tough, and uh, being down a guy is not going to help. Also, Alexander Madison of the Minnesota Vikings has been placed on the reserve COVID list. The running back room continues to take hits. Um, As a result, they claimed running back Wayne Gallman off of waivers from the Falcons. I think he was drafted by the Giants a while ago. We'll see if it ends up being a big deal or not, Um, but Madison has been a pretty good complimentary number two. It's crazy just reading all the updates. It's just every other one is a COVID update. These guys are just, they're just slinging COVID all over the place. (laughs) Cedric Wilson of the Cowboys, COVID. Uh, Quez Watkins, Eagles, COVID. Uh, David Johnson, Texans, COVID. Chargers, Rashawn Slater, COVID. Jonathan Allen, Washington, COVID. These are all updates from today. Jalen Ramsey, COVID. Tyler Higby, COVID, still today. Just crazy. Um, anyways, those last two obviously are big for the upcoming game, but you already saw it, so you don't care. Um, in other news, Justin Fields did undergo an x-ray on his left non-throwing hand after the Bears' Week 14 loss to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, the Bears don't really matter to us anymore. We've already played them twice, beat them twice. They're not playoff contenders. There's nothing really to worry about here, but um, Fields just came back from injury, and now he's getting his hand x-rayed. This guy is just getting absolutely brutalized behind his offensive line. There's no other way to put it. Injury news about Lamar Jackson. Obviously, this is the quarterback we're playing the upcoming week, so we got to keep an eye on it. Um, it is an ankle sprain, but I don't believe it is a high ankle sprain. That is the latest that I heard. Is that I don't know if they said definitively it's not, or we're pretty sure it's not, but sounds like it's not. But either way, there's no definitive news about Lamar Jackson and whether he will suit up and play against the Packers this week or not. If not, um, Tyler Huntley is going to be the upcoming quarterback. We'll take a look at that more as the week rolls on. But anyways, let's do our second recap of the day now that we've had a little bit more time to process. we got a little bit more stats, news, information, etc. 
couple of things I picked up off of the Twitterverse, just, you know, saving things as they come across. Green Bay Packers have been dominant in the regular season under head coach Matt LaFleur. They're 36-9 and overall, 9-0 and after a loss. After Mr. Quinn mocked Aaron Rodgers right to his face with that belt uh, celebration, the Packers scored on five of their next seven drives. So again, don't do that. The uh, Green Bay Packers, as of right now, are six and a half point favorites in Baltimore on Sunday. I don't know if that's taking Lamar Jackson into account. I would assume that that is thinking Lamar is going to play, meaning if he doesn't, it moves further in our favor, but I could be wrong about that. Maybe they're splitting the difference. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, Dara stat, which is not a measuring device. It's two different words, Dara and statistic. Razul Douglas in six career games versus the Bears. 12 catches on 25 targets for 122 yards. Zero touchdowns, seven pass breakups, and a pick six. 45.7 passer rating allowed. Certified Bear killer. Via Zach Cruz, Packers outside linebacker Preston Smith has 29 total pressures in his last four games per PFF. He had 29 all of last season. We'll get into uh, his stats a little bit more, but... Comparing last year to this year is just night and day. I mentioned how he started off hot and started to to fizzle out a little bit, but he is right back into it. But either way, if he doesn't play another snap, he's been more productive this year through this part of the season than he ever was through the entire season last year. Uh, Another Dara stat here. One of the most surprising stats of the season, Preston Smith's pressure rate is at 13.6%, which far exceeds Darius Smith's 2020 mark of 9.6% which earned him a Pro Bowl. Preston has been far higher graded run defender too. So this one I don't like as much. I'll read it because it's worth noting. But as I've told you already, I don't think, and and this is going to get me killed, I don't think Zadarius earned a Pro Bowl spot last year in 2020. I mean, just just based on 9.6% pressure rate, that's terrible. It's just kind of bad. I don't know if that's PFF or not, because I don't remember it ever being that bad. Let me check. Oh, it is gross. 59 pressures. He did get 14 sacks, which is great, but 59 pressures on 612 attempts is pretty low. Now, there's the whole double team thing, and I get that, but the the reason he got a Pro Bowl is because of 2019. 2019, he got snubbed because nobody knew anything about Zadarius, and nobody cared about the fact that he had 105 pressures and 18 sacks. But the reason why, you know, and I don't know if this is deliberate or what from Dara, but nobody goes to the Pro Bowl because of a 9.6 pressure rate. So the fact that Preston is at 13.6, it's impressive on its own account. 13.6 is great. Comparing it to 9.6, the only thing that does is show that Zadarius did not deserve a Pro Bowl nod in 2020. He did in 2019 and didn't get it, and they made it up to him in 2020 by giving it to him because he followed it up with 14 sacks, and the only thing they care about is sacks anyway, so they're like, oh yeah, back-to-back good years, but um, the pressures were down to like zero. I mean, I read it was, it was it was like half the amount of pressures as he had in 2019. But anyways, it's, uh, it's a good number for Preston. Wouldn't say it's the most surprising of the season, though. Um, interesting note here from Zach Cruz, and it kind of got the gears turning, and uh, I'll kind of just throw it out there and we'll see what you think about it. He says, Alan Lazard ran a team-high 17 routes from the slot with Alan, with Randall Cobb out. Devontae Adams ran 16, Josiah DeGuara ran 14, and it kind of got me thinking a little bit. You know, sometimes we talk about how the team seems to do better 
when Devontae's not there because, well, for a couple different reasons. It forces Rodgers to go other directions. It forces uh, creativity in the scheme. It forces, you know, whatever. Whatever whatever it is that you want to say, you have to kind of push other people to do other things. And those guys tend to thrive in those situations or at least rise to the occasion. We're fine when Devontae's not there. What about what happens when you remove our slot receiver from the slot? Well, you've got to fill the void somewhere else. And I think everybody kind of thrived. Now, maybe it's not, you know, because they were in the slot or whatever the case may be. Alan Lazard had his first real good game since week six. Also, he's had two good games this year. They were both against Chicago. But suffice it to say, it was was by far his best game of the season. It was also when he played the highest percentage of his snaps from the slot. Now, granted, last week against LA, it was almost a tie. I mean, we're talking... 52 compared to 53%, and the week before that was 51%. Um, But even that has increased slowly over the weeks. You know, before that it was 40, before that it was 30. But it is worth worth thinking about that. If, you know, we want Lazar to step up, right? We want him to play better. We want him to get more involved. We want him to kind of be what he was in 2020. What if Lazard is better in the slot? If we can utilize him better in the slot and Randall Cobb comes back and takes that spot and we're forced to kick Lazard out to the boundary where he doesn't necessarily thrive. Again, I'm just throwing this out as a hypothetical. And Randall Cobb is not necessarily dominant in the slot this year. We're kind of going backwards in two spots because we're downgrading our boundary with Lazard because he's not thriving out there. And we're downgrading our slot with Randall Cobb. Whereas if we just remove Randall, put Lazard in there, and then maybe put MVS on the boundary or whoever. I don't know, MVS had a terrible week this week anyways. But we're kind of getting better. Just, again, just a thought. Don't mean to throw shade at Randall Cobb, but it's worth thinking about. Also mentioned Josiah DeGuara with his 14 snaps in the slot. He's also been in the slot a lot more the last two weeks, and lo and behold, he had his best game this week. Again, might just be a complete coincidence. Maybe it has to do with the fact that Aaron Rodgers is getting hot. Maybe it has to do with the fact that the Chicago Bears secondary is so bad to begin with and then depleted on top of that that they just ripped through everybody. I don't know. On top of that, their their slot seems to be the worst spot. And I think they lost two slot corners in this game after having been down a slot coming into the game. So they lost three guys in that position. So maybe that has something to do with it. But it's worth at least exploring. It feels like you're just putting your best guys in the best spot. But um, I don't know. Um, Dara did go back and look at the highest graded defenders the last two weeks. It's only two weeks, so it's small sample size, but it's worth noting either way. Number one, last two weeks now, number one, Aaron Donald, 95.8 overall. Number two is Razul Douglas. Now, I don't know how he did that. If he went two weeks, which just has Razul this one week because we had a buyer, if he went back three weeks. Mm, let me check. Yeah, so it was, it's the last three weeks, um, but that would be the last two weeks for the uh, for the Packers. Aaron Donald, 94.4 overall grade. Razul Douglas, 92.6 with a 92.4 coverage grade. In the last two weeks, he has six tackles, two stops, 12 targets, only three receptions for 79 yards. He gave up one touchdown, has two interceptions, three pass breakups. And I don't even think it's listed here, but two defensive touchdowns on top of that. It's also worth noting in this exact same span, Preston Smith is 17th. Now, bear in mind, this isn't the 17th best pass rusher. This is the 17th best defensive player in football. That's defensive tackles, edge rushers, linebackers, corners, safeties. He has one spot ahead of Micah Parsons. 
the last three weeks, ahead of. You know who else is on this list in the top 20? Mr. Chris Barnes. He is 20th. He has an 83.6 overall grade. He has an 87 coverage grade. Then you also got Rashawn Gary, 36th, which again, doesn't seem that impressive until you realize we're talking about multiple position groups. In fact, let's let's just do it by position because that's kind of fun. And we're looking at a zoomed in period, right? The last three weeks. It's probably a little too zoomed in, but we're already here. Let's play with it. So just looking at edge rushers, Preston Smith is fourth. Rashawn Gary is eighth over this three-week span. So both of them are top 10. Linebackers, Chris Barnes is fourth overall. Devondre Campbell is 22nd. At corner, obviously, Razul Douglas is number one. And at safety, Darnell Savage, our, our best, is at 30th. I'm not sure where... Amos is, he must have had a really bad day one of these two days. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But some of these guys, needless to say, are kind of breaking out a bit. In fact, we're already here. We might as well do. Just keep going. Let's look at the offense, shall we? Aaron Rodgers, number two in the NFL behind only Joe freaking Burrow somehow. Justin Fields is 36th out of 37. But we're we're not talking about the Bears. We're not talking about Justin Fields being second from the bottom. Stupid Lamar Jackson. Receiving grades, Devontae Adams is third. You got Cooper Cup and T. Higgins. Oh, that's gonna just that's just gonna piss some people right off. T. Higgins, oh my goodness. Looking at running backs, AJ Dillon is ranked the fifth highest running back in the NFL. He's behind uh, let's see, Melvin Gordon, Sony Michelle, Miles Sanders, and Tony Pollard. Um that's about it. Offensive line, zero offensive lineman. <laughs> Literally not one. Let's see if there's any certain breakdown. I can't get anybody in the top 32 overall run blocking or pass blocking, but um, but they make it work, so there's that. And finally, looking at tight ends, Mercedes Lewis is sixth overall behind Mark Andrews, Dallas Goddard, Rob Gronkowski, Jack Doyle, and George Kittle. That is... That's some company right there. By the way, Josiah DeGuara is 17th out of 39. So even Josiah is getting in on the action. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take an early break so that we can just launch into this. We'll do offense, defense, and unfortunately special teams. Maybe we'll start with special teams so we can get that horror nightmare freak show out of the way. If you would like to support this wonderful, beautiful, starving, dying creator. I don't know how much time I have left. Maybe a week? Maybe... 60 years? I don't know, but boy, I sure could use your help. For as little as a dollar a day, you too could help sponsor the Packernet podcast. I need to get like a, you know, people on YouTube sometimes will have like a Patreon supporter thing, put you in the credits kind of thing. You'd have like a wall of of people that support the podcast for just one dollar a day or month, year for all I care. I don't know. I don't care. You can help keep my kids fed. Well, you keep me fed anyways. I can't promise anything about the kids, but I promise you, I will. And that's that's what matters. Don't act like my one-year-old little baby's going to do a podcast for you. Who cares? She doesn't do anything. Act like it's some kind of a crime. What, you don't feed your baby? Shut up. Asked her to do the dishes the other day, and she broke my favorite cup. Didn't even clean it up. She's just crying about getting cut. Ooh. <laughs> None of that happened, by the way. I'm about to lose every patron I had. None of that, 100% that was made up. I just thought it was funny. I don't do comedy on, on Patreon either, so you don't have to worry about that. I don't, I don't know if I gained any ground here, but um, if you want to, you can support over on Patreon. We'll take a break, 
We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, because I am a bit of a petty child, I do actually want to start with the Chicago Bears. But it also gives us a little bit of what I love, which is... Say it with me now, perspective. Because when you see, you know, if we start with the Packers and I say, look, half our team had good grades, half our team had bad grades, the temptation is to be like, dude, PFF is stupid. Why are you saying half the team was bad? That's stupid. So, all right, let's look at the Bears here. Starting with the defense, 22 players played on their defense. Two of them had grades in the 70s, zero in the 80s or 90s. Two of them in the 70s, 746 Margus Hunt, who's been around a long time. That dude, wasn't he a Colt for a long time? Yeah, Cincinnati, then the Colts, then New Orleans, then back to Cincinnati, now a year in Chicago. Anyways, highest graded guy was uh, Mr. Margus Hunt. He uh, played 14 total snaps. In fact, here's the funny part. So they had two guys graded out in the 70s. Neither of them were starters. Margus Hunt, Mario Edwards, 14 and 19 snaps. The third highest at a 68 overall grade, Kendall Vildor, the Viking, um, played 12 snaps. Eddie Goldman, he did have 27 snaps, so he's kind of a starter, but they didn't give him a starter designation because he wasn't number one. He was like number three or whatever. The highest graded um, starter that they had was Angelo Blackson, who was tied for fifth at a 66.1 overall grade. Highest graded starter. But they had a bunch of guys in the 60s, but... um, only 10 of their 22 graded in the graded at 60 or higher, which is to say 11 through 22 was lower than a 60. Only 15 of their 22 graded at 50 or higher. Excuse me, 16. Jalen Johnson, the guy that the Bears... I just saw on Twitter somebody was bragging about how good Jalen Johnson did at locking down Devontae. It's probably because the announcers wouldn't shut up about it because they don't know what they're talking about. 
Jalen Johnson was the lone guy in the 40s, but that doesn't mean he was the worst. Because we got four guys who graded out in the 30s. Who? Well, Roquan Smith, everybody's favorite linebacker. Xavier Crawford at 31.5. Travis Gibson at 30.5. Chris Kairis, Tong- uh, Tong- whatever, Tonga at 30.1. And then finally, Alec Ogletree, the starting middle linebacker at 28.8 overall. That was their defense. The biggest names on this defense that everybody knows and everybody loves. Roquan with a 39 overall. Jalen Johnson with a 49 overall. Um, Bilal Nichols at a 50. Robert Quinn, everybody's favorite guy in the world. He had two sacks. He must be a demon, right? No, he only had three pressures in the whole game. He just tackled the quarterback on two of those three. Um, He had a 56 overall grade. He had a 34 tackling grade. Because he had, uh, how many tackles did he have? Oh, zero. Zero tackles and one missed tackle because he sucks. Eddie Jackson, the uh, one of the higher paid safeties in football that got paid because once he was good because he had like a bunch of picks or whatever. Because <laughs> apparently that's all you need to get a big contract. 57 overall grade. And yeah, Eddie Goldman is about the only other guy that matters who had a 68 overall grade, which is, you know... Not bad. I mean, it sucks that the guy didn't get a single pressure in the game and all, but uh, he wasn't bad against the run, so there's that. Taking a look at their trash offense, I mean, their offense, um, this is even better. One player out of 19 had a 70 overall grade, and that was running back Damian Williams. The next highest grade, the second highest graded player. By the way, Damian Williams, seven snaps the whole game, so that doesn't even friggin' count. Demir Bird, wide receiver. Not a starting wide receiver, although he had plenty of snaps. But again, didn't get the starter designation, so it counts. Demir Bird, second highest graded, technically first highest graded, 63 overall grade. That was their best guy that actually played in this game. 63 overall grade. David Montgomery, their elite running back, had a 62 overall grade, 65.9 rushing grade. And that's literally it. Alex Bars, who played one snap, had a 60.0 overall grade because he played one snap. That's it. Three players, only two of them that played any amount of time, had a grade in the 60s out of 19. Most other players were in the 50s uh, from 16 up. Two players were in the 40s, Justin Fields and Larry Borum, two guys that Bears fans also really uh, seem to like for some reason. And uh, Tevin Jenkins had a 25.0 overall grade. So (laughs) just to be clear here, Ryan Pace who everybody, all the draft analysts loved what he did. In fact, most Packer fans who want to hate Brian Gutekunst will look at what Ryan Pace does, trading up, being aggressive to go get that quarterback of the future, trading up in the second round to get Tevin Jenkins. By the way, Justin Fields and Tevin Jenkins fell really far. And again, there's that thing where people don't don't think, wow, they fell. Maybe they're not as good as we thought. No, no, no. They're obviously as good as the couch basement scouts told us they were. So they fell because of some magical, mystical thing. And, and if you get them late, you just got super lucky. Like that's that's a steal as though like you did something amazing. Dude, they got a steal. What are you, what are you talking about? They drafted a guy that everybody else passed on. That's, that's what happened. Anyways, they traded away a ton of picks. Because again, they traded way up to get Justin Fields. They lost their first round pick this year for him. And then they traded up in the second round to get Tevin Jenkins. Those two players were two of the three lowest graded players. And by the way, Mr. Larry Borum, who's been playing for a while, was a fifth round pick in 2021. So their first round pick 
the uh, their second round pick and their fifth round pick were the bottom three players in this in this game. Other guys that they liked that were not good: Darnell Mooney with a 51 overall grade, uh, Jason Peters before he got hurt at a 52 overall grade, Cole Komet, who Bears fans at this point I think just hate, but 52 overall. Uh, Jimmy Graham, bad. Uh, let's see, Jakeem Grant, who obviously destroyed us as a return guy, is not a very good wide receiver, 57 overall grade. Allen Robinson, who doesn't even care anymore, 58 overall grade. The whole team was bad. The entire, entire, entire team was bad. Now let's look at the Packers, now that we have that little bit of perspective in terms of what it takes to actually, again, they scored 30 points. Nobody graded out well. As for the Green Bay Packers, on the other hand, um, eight players, including one, two, three, four, five, six, who are starters, eight players had a grade of 70 or higher out of 21. In fact, we could probably round John Runyon up as well. Let's call it nine, including seven starters. John Runyon, 69.5 overall grade. Josiah DeGuara at 70. Yash Nyman with a 72 overall grade. Aaron Rodgers, 72. I don't know how it was that low, but whatever. Um, Royce Newman with a 75 overall grade. We'll get into the specifics of pass and run blocking in a little bit, but Royce Newman, you love to see it. Um, he's starting to turn a corner, right? Sometimes you use the illustration of a flickering light, or sometimes it's on all the time and it's starting to flicker off. Sometimes it's off and it's starting to flicker on. Royce is that light that's off that's flickering on, right? He was just bad, bad, bad all the time. Get him off the field. He's terrible. All of a sudden it's like, ooh, ooh, there's a little something there. At number four, A.J. Dillon, who just lives at the top of this list. At number three, Alan Lazard, the guy that we've all been saying we need to see more of, 79.5 overall grade. Devontae Adams with an 87.8, another nearly elite grade. And at number one, the big dog, Mr. Mercedes Lewis. Mercedes Lewis had a 92.9 overall grade. I don't remember exactly. I looked up the stats a while ago and I put it on Twitter, but whatever. I'll, I'll spitball it here. This, I think, was his fourth highest graded game ever in his entire career. We got to be talking about hundreds of games that he's played, a couple hundred games, maybe 150, 200 games. I don't know. I'm making that up, but it's a lot of games he's played. This is maybe his fourth or fifth highest, and I think it is his highest grade since 2012, I think it was. So this is his, maybe his fifth best game ever and his best game since 2012. I mean, that's, that's just crazy. He had a 92 receiving grade, a 74 pass blocking grade, and a 75 run blocking grade. What? <laughs> Jeez. Um, on the other hand, on the lower end of the spectrum, the other thing that's kind of good here, nobody was below a 50. Now, 50 isn't great, right? 50 is below average, but not one person was in the quote-unquote bad spectrum. 40s, 30s, 20s, 10s, single digits, whatever. Nobody. The lowest graded player was Marquez Valdez-Scantling with a 50.3 overall grade. Other guys in the 50s, Tyler Davis, uh, who hardly played, Amari Rogers, who hardly played, Equinemius, who hardly played, and then Lucas Patrick and Dennis Kelly. Dennis Kelly right at 59, and he actually was phenomenal as a pass blocker. Again, we'll get into that. So overall, glorious. And again, I think as long as, it, for the most part, when you see Rogers playing well, we're probably going to be okay. But when you see Rogers playing well, you see Devontae playing well, You've got um, one other pass blocker in Mercedes Lewis, as well as a little bit of Josiah DeGuara here. Um, you have your offensive lineman playing well, and at the very least pass blocking. Again, we'll, we'll look at that. I mean, that's, that's sort of a formula for success. The fact that MVS had a bad day, I have a feeling Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, the offensive line, and your tight ends, and A.J. Dillon 
uh, and Alan Lazard, <laughs> I have a feeling they're going to be able to overcome that. So I don't want to say it doesn't matter because you don't want MVS having bad days, but everybody has bad days. The point is, if you get those key pieces, Rodgers, a couple pass uh, catchers, and uh, the offensive line can at least pass block, you'll be all right. But anyways, let's look at the blocking. Um, starting off with the grades. You had, let's see if we're going to kind of round this a little bit, five guys at, uh, we'll call it 69 or higher, as run blockers as far as grades. Not all offensive linemen, but still. Royce Newman with a 69.2. John Runyon with a 71 overall. Then you had Mercedes Lewis at a 75. Dominique Daphne at a 76. And Josiah DeGuara, which is great to see because they've been using him in that fullback role. Usually you're looking at guys to be better pass blockers, but if you're going to line him up as an H-back or a fullback, you kind of want to prioritize his ability to be a run blocker. Um, and you, you saw that, I mean, he had a 28 pass blocking grade and you say, well, that's trash. Well, it is, but if you zoom in a little bit, one pass blocking attempt and he gave up a sack. So, I mean, that's, that's horrifically bad, but at the same time, it's one time he pass blocked. He had, he was run blocking 11 times in this game. So he is going to be used, utilized a lot in that capacity. And the fact that he's doing well in that role and, and was actually the highest graded run blocker on the entire team is pretty impressive. Um, and he is kind of that flickering light. He's at a 76 last week as a run blocker of 59, so about average. The week before that, 84.7. Then he had two games in the fifth. Before that, it was pretty bad. It was, it was kind of just barely flickering on. But the last three weeks, again, 85, 60, and 77. That's pretty good. And he's usually a better pass blocker. He did have one other. The problem is he only, at most, he pass blocks twice in a game. And I'm guessing these are mostly fakes. Right? In other words, you don't want Josiah DeGuara to go out and they say automatically, this is obviously going to be a run play, right? So if you line him up in the backfield or you line him up in line and he's not running a route, they're probably running some kind of a play fake and he's staying in to block. But usually he's either run blocking or he's going to go run a route. But the, the problem with the grades is if he gives up a single pressure, it's going to be bad, right? So usually he, he does fine. He has two pass blocking attempts. He gets a 70 overall grade because he didn't give up any pressures. Or you look at week nine, one pass blocking attempt and he gave up a hurry. Oh no, what a horrible thing. He had a zero pass blocking grade, right? I mean, it's, so it's, it's, it's not that it's not important. Everybody has to learn that if your job is to protect the quarterback, you better figure out how to do it. But the point is we're really focused on his ability as a receiver and a run blocker right now. As far as pass blocking, um, only one guy was horrible, and that's Josiah. We just talked about that. Not that big of a deal. Aaron Jones was another one at 56 overall, but only three attempts on that. The only guy that really matters that struggled as a pass blocker was John Runyon, and he had a 56 overall grade, so a little below average. Not spectacular, but not the end of the world by any stretch of the imagination. Center Lucas Patrick had a 67 overall grade, which, again, is high average, bordering on good. Um, tight end Tyler Davis only had two attempts, but got a nearly 70 overall grade. Alan Lazard, who had a great day as a receiver and a blocker, um, only three pass blocking attempts, but had a 73 overall grade. Mercedes Lewis, six pass blocking attempts, 75 overall grade. Yash Nyman, our, uh, left tackle in this game, 75 overall grade. Remember, this is, this is our left tackle, which just sends a chill up my spine thinking about it. But he also went up against Robert Quinn, who is dominating the league right now in sacks. Now, yes, he does have two sacks in this game. One of them came against Yash Nyman. That, that is true. Um, but again, he only had three pressures in this entire game. Only two of them came against Yash Nyman. 
and he had a 75 overall grade. We're talking on 40 attempts. Two times he let somebody get to Aaron Rodgers. Um, above him is actually Dennis Kelly, which is really impressive for him to, to come in there kind of out of nowhere. Um, horrific run blocking grade of 43 overall, but I don't really care that much. I mean, I do. I mean, again, you got to be able to do it. Running the ball is important and all, but when you're when you're as depleted as we are, at this point, it's a matter of please just don't get Aaron Rodgers killed. Like, we'll survive. We'll find a way to win as long as Aaron Rodgers can stay in rhythm. You know, A.J. Dillon, if, if you let a guy get through a little bit quick, he'll drag a guy for a couple yards. You know, we'll, we'll make it work. But, I mean, 80.4 overall grade. Uh, the third highest pass blocking grade was actually Billy Turner. So, technically, Billy Turner was better. Um, having a great day at 81.6. Hope he's doing well. But, again, Dennis Kelly came in, did about as well. A.J. Dillon was actually the second highest pass blocking grade on the team at an 81.9. Um, shockingly, he actually had seven attempts. So it was, he, he pass blocked more than Mercedes Lewis, Alan Lazard, uh, Tyler Davis, Aaron Jones, all these guys. So, um, I mean, granted, if you're asking him, if, if you're asking your running back to stay in and help block for you, he's the one that's going to do it because he was out there more often. But um the fact that it was so much higher, again, even higher than Mercedes Lewis was a little bit surprising, but he was dominant. And that's so awesome because he's blossoming as a runner. Right? He's getting better every week we can see as a runner, where he's not just a guy who closes his eyes and smashes into a pile in front of him and tries to push the pile. Um, he's also, like like I said, things like pad level, where I said that was my biggest knock against him is that he's got all this power and he's not utilizing it properly because he's an upright runner, right? It doesn't matter if you're 250 pounds. If you run upright, these guys are going to knock right into you and you're, you know, uh, center of gravity, what I'm trying to think of. It's just, it's you're, you're top heavy, right? If he hits you in the chest, you fall backwards. That's just what happens. But um, then he starts to develop as a receiver. and He's just this dominant receiver. He very rarely drops anything. I mean, he's got great hands. He's toe-tapping the sideline ridiculous stuff. And now apparently he's one of our better pass blockers, wherever that came from. So phenomenal to see that. And then finally, the highest graded pass blocker on the team was Royce Newman. And again, as far as starting to see the light a little bit, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's again, the light's off more often than it's on, especially if you look at overall grade. But if you look at pass blocking, it's either really good or really bad, but it started about week eight. So prior to week eight, here are his pass blocking grades, not overall pass blocking. 50, 76, that was his one good day against Detroit, 42, 60, 61, 42, 51. So that was the first half of the season through seven weeks. He had one good game, otherwise it's 40s, 50s, and a couple 60s. Starting in week eight, here are his grades. Four of his best and two of his worst games. So again, it's either real good or real bad, but 82, 28, 77, 81, 30, and 82. So literally his four best games have come from week eight to week 14. His two worst games have been in that exact same stretch. Now, bear in mind, week 12, as an interior guy going up against LA, who's he going up against? All right, that's a, that's a tough matchup. And Kansas City's got a pretty good defensive tackle too. I don't know if he was playing or not. I'm not going to go dig it up, but he had a bad day regardless. But again, 82-70, let me look at his grades the last, uh, now nah, I'm not going to bother because that 28 and 30 are pretty brutal, but it's just, it's nice to see that he's he's really starting to get it. Um, and the run blocking is starting to get slightly better as well, if we just look at that briefly here. In that exact same span, so something clicked in week eight. Something clicked, because it's the exact same cutoff line. Here are his run blocking grades. 56, 48, 42, 39, 70, 50, 31. 
So again, there's 170 that was against Cincinnati, but we've got two games in the 30s, two in the 40s, and one in the 50s in week one. Since that time, starting in week eight against Arizona, 58, so almost average, 56, almost average, 72, 52, 58, and 69. So he's he's mostly been average. If we look at his top games, you've got um, week 10, 5, 14, 12, 8, and uh, 9-ish or whatever. So week 5 against Cincinnati was the only one that's that's mixed in here. Otherwise, 8, 9, 10, 12, 14 are all, all his top run-blocking games. Let's just do it this way. Why don't we do it this way? I'm going I'm to look it up really quickly. Just comparing his grades from weeks 1 through 7 compared to 8 through 14. Oh, <laughs> this is crazy. In weeks 1 through 7, out of 100, or excuse me, out of 82 guards, um, Royce Newman was 76th. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh from the bottom. He was the worst run blocking guard in all of football. And he was 53rd as a pass blocker. He had a 45 overall grade, a 40 run blocking grade, and a 53.3 pass blocking grade. So arguably the worst guard in all of football for the first half of the season. I'm not talking one game. I'm talking half the season. Yeah, it's 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 kind of what I was expecting. It is better but it's not that much better because of the stupid, really low grades pass blocking, the 28 and the 30. It does, however, get better if you go to week 10. So we cut out one of those 20s, the 28, and we've got four games. And again, this is pass blocking, but 77, 81, 30, and 82. So it's it's a better ratio, four good games compared to one. He's actually ranked 30th. So um, he's gone from around 70th or, or whatever it was, 69th or something to 30th. He's climbing a little bit, and that's overall grade. Uh, run blocking the last four weeks, he's 34th, and pass blocking, he is 31st. So he's right in that range. So so that's that's number one starting guard caliber, right? Top 32 is number one guard. Top 64, you're, you're top number two. Granted, there's only 76 total or whatever. But he's, he's he is getting better, and that's nice. Um, as far as statistics, there were only five pressures given up by um, offensive line and or tight ends, wide receivers, whatever. Two pressures we mentioned by Yash Nyman, one sack and one hurry. One by Josiah DeGuaro, which was a sack. One by Lucas Patrick, which was just a hurry. And one by John Runyon, which was just a hurry. So that's it. Five pressures the entire day. Um, kudos to Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers and the offensive line coaches and all these guys because... Um, at some point you have to recognize that it's not because these guys, Yash Nyman, Lucas Patrick, John Runyon, et cetera, et cetera, are just so, Royce Newman, just so unbelievably dominant as offensive linemen. That's clearly not the case. Kudos to them for doing their job and they're doing a great job and they're exceeding expectations and they're doing everything they need to do. But this is on Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur, the offensive line guys, the tight end guys, all these guys being utilized in right, the, the right way, calling the right plays, getting the help where they need the help. Aaron Rodgers getting the ball out of his hand, um, knowing when he needs to to get out of that situation. One of those sacks, I thought for sure the ball was coming out. But he's just got that sixth sense. As he starts to run, he just tucks the ball. Right, He's running, and he just feels someone's about to swap me from behind. And so he pulls that ball in, and that big old bear paw comes down and hits that ball, but he has it tucked. 
I mean, nine, nine out of 10 quarterbacks, that's a strip sack right there. So, I mean, it's just it's just little stuff like that. Aaron Rodgers being able to evade. He just, he's got the clock going off. He knows where everybody is. He knows it's time to bail. I got to step up in the pocket, step out of the pocket. I got to flush out of the pocket. I got to throw the ball. I got to throw the ball away. Whatever the case is, he's mitigating the damage. So um, it's really just, a, it's, it's an absolute masterclass what's going on here. And I, I don't know what that is, specifically what, what they're doing to, to help. But it's a little bit of everything, and it's just it's 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 a beautiful thing. Um, a little bit more on the statistics with Aaron Rodgers: seventy-eight point four percent completion percentage. That's not adjusted completion percentage. That's just his completion percentage, which is incredibly high. His adjusted completion percentage was eighty-three percent. He had two big-time throws and zero turnover-worthy plays in this game, which is ridiculous. He didn't just have zero interceptions. He didn't even have a single throw that should have been intercepted, right? You say, well, what about that one where it just went over the guy's fingertips? It's not turnover worthy if the defender doesn't have a play on. Just because it was close to his fingers doesn't mean it was turnover worthy. It was not turnover worthy because he couldn't get to it. Turnover worthy is when you hit a guy, you know, a defender in his hands and the defender drops it or puts it in danger in some kind of a way. Not one pass did a defender even have the opportunity to take it away from us. Um... Time to throw is 2.53, pass rating 141.1. Just an absolutely beautiful day. Um, when under pressure, he had a 63 overall grade, which is not bad. Uh, let's see, two completions on three. Yes, it's not bad because it hardly happened all game. Um, only six of his dropbacks. He had two completions on three attempts, 66.7 uh, completion percentage, 20 yards. So that was that was it. it again, it just hardly ever happened. Um, it's not even worth reading the other statistics because it's just all the other throws. Um, also worth noting, he was significantly better on play action passes, non-play action passes, which is about three quarters of them. He was 20 of 27 for 236 yards and two touchdowns on play action. He had a 66 overall grade on play action, 79 overall grade. He was nine of 10 for 105 yards and two touchdowns on play action. So they were killing the bears on play action all day. Looking at depth, uh, passes behind the line of scrimmage, he had a 60 overall grade, uh, only one completion for 16 yards. Short passes, 70 overall grade, uh, 23 of 24. My goodness. Short passes, 23 of 24, 196 yards and two touchdowns. Intermediate is the only one where he kind of got dinged on a little bit. A 61 overall grade, three of six, 59 yards and a touchdown. On deep passes, though, he had an 85 overall grade. He was two of four. Uh, 70 yards and a touchdown. And obviously those are his two big time throws. Looking at the running backs, where they went over yards per attempt and all that. Um, however, yards after contact per attempt, Aaron Jones actually beat out AJ Dillon, which is a rarity. Um, not that Aaron Jones usually does poorly. He usually does pretty well, but four yards after contact per attempt. I mean, I guess that makes sense when you have seven yards per attempt, but yeah, that's, that's a, that's a high number. A.J. Dillon, 3.2 yards after contact per attempt. A.J. Dillon also added two missed tackles forced. Aaron Jones didn't have any on his five attempts. Both guys, despite A.J. Dillon having three times the amount of carries, had carries of over uh, 10 or more yards. I'm also noticing significantly more gap-style runs. I don't know if that's because of the offensive line or really just playing to A.J. Dillon's strengths, but it used to be very heavy zone with a, a rarely they, they play any gap, it was 50-50. Um, in fact, Aaron Jones, of his five carries, three of them were gap scheme, which is, you know, in, in my ability to describe in layman's terms, is when you designate a certain hole and you send people in to just blast through that hole. 
and you tell the running back, that's going to be your hole. We're going to open it for you and you run through it. As opposed to zone, which is we move laterally and create lanes and your job is to um, find, wait for, identify an open lane, one of what could be several. And when you find it, you cut through it. A.J. Dillon, of his 15 carries, eight were zone, seven were gap. So that's, again, that that could be because of the offensive line. It could be because of the Chicago Bears. Um, One of the things that that comes to mind in terms of why you might be looking for more gap as opposed to zone is because of a guy like Roquan. I don't know this to be the reality, but I know when you try to get to the boundary, when you start trying to run laterally, if you have these really fast linebackers, they're the ones that can kind of blow that stuff up. We learned that against Tampa, for example. We kept trying to get to the outside, and it just wasn't working. And we didn't learn until way too late that if we just plow up the middle, we do a lot better. But um, anyways, it's an observation, something to keep an eye on. Receiving stuff, there's not a whole lot here to look at that we haven't already talked about. Um, again, in the slot, it was pretty evenly distributed. You had uh, Devontae in 16 times, four, 41% of the time he was in the slot. Lazard, 53%. Josiah DeGuar, 53%. No, it doesn't add up to 100 because it's not supposed to. That's based on their own individual percentages. Uh, Mercedes Lewis actually led the team in yards per route run at 3.92, which is just crazy. Average depth of tar- target goes to Alan Lazard at 10.7. Longest reception was Devontae Adams' 38-yard reception. Uh, contested catches, the Packers were four, uh, two of four. Devontae Adams was 0 for 1. Al Lazard was 1 for 1. Aaron Jones was 1 for 1. I guess they're calling that, well, maybe it was a different one. Um, and then MVS was 0 for 1. Uh, otherwise, the passer ratings were just ridiculous for everybody except MVS with a 68.8 passer rating. But um, you had outside of that, Mercedes Lewis, 118.8. Josiah DeGuara, 118.8. Devontae 144.6, Aaron Jones 147.9, and Alan Lazard with a 150.9 passer rating. Looking at the defense now, finally. I gotta pull up the football game here real quick. Cardinals are up three. They're about to go up seven more. This is going about about how I expected it to go. Because um, Cardinals are just better than the Rams, plus half the Rams team is on the freaking COVID IR right now. So anyways, interesting enough. I'm glad I'm not going to be watching it. Uh, defense now. So that whole spiel was offense. Again, think back, Chicago Bears, how their team did, right? Um, Out of 19 players, we had at at least 69 overall, 10 of 19. So 50% of our defense graded out well. Chris Barnes at 69, Kingsley Kiki at 69, Kenny Clark at 73.4, Tipigalea, who I don't remember seeing at all in this game, probably because he had zero pressures, but still did well. Uh, 74-ish grade. Rashawn Gary comes in at 6th at 75.3. Rashawn hasn't had like that 90 overall in a long time, but I swear every week he's right at like 75. Um, Devondre Campbell, right back on top. I mentioned he's been slipping a little bit, and it's starting to make me a little bit nervous, and you're getting regression to the mean. He had his first big game since basically week 7 against Washington with a pretty much an 80 overall grade. Um, TJ freaking Slayton, only seven snaps in this game, but an 81.2 overall grade in this game. Uh, that was by far his best game. Let me just read to you his grades. He had two decent games or whatever. Um, but here are his grades since week one, 64, 37, 72, 39, 38, 62, 45, 60, 60, 72, 54, 56, 81.2. So he had two low seventies in there. 
a bunch of 60s, and then like three 30s. And that was over a four-week span. He had a 37, a 39, and a 39. So that was getting pretty ugly. Um, he hasn't played a lot of snaps outside of like week nine, 45 snaps against Kansas City, probably due to injuries and whatnot, Kenny being out or whatever the case was. But um, yeah, he hasn't had a pressure since week 10 against Seattle where he had three pressures in that game. But still good to see. Um, he had a real good overall grade. Uh, only Again, only seven snaps, but maybe after that performance, he'll get a little bit more action. We'll see how it goes. At number three, you had Dean Lowry, which is great to see. Um, he's kind of intermittent. You get a couple good games from him. This was by far his best game this year. He only had one other game in the 70s, and that was against week uh, against Washington Week 7, 84.5. When has he ever had an 84.5? He had exactly an 84.5 in 2019. Um, he had an 85.4 in 2018, so he did have one game at least higher. I'm not going to keep going back because I don't care that much, but um, a, a historically good game for Dean Lowry, and it went completely under the radar. He actually had five pressures in this game, so real good, real good day for him. Preston Smith at number two, an 89.9 overall game. Preston is... Um, Again, I, I just keep going through everybody's grades, but it just it really paints a picture of what it is I'm saying. I mentioned how he started off slow, or he started off hot, then he cooled off, and then he started to pick it back up again. 86, 77, 67 is how he started. Then 51, 62, 48, 45, 55 through Kansas City. That's a terrible stretch. Since then, 78, 88, 68, and 89. We already went through the stats. Actually, if I go back one more week, and I'm I'm, I'm not going to, but... I'm guessing if I go back one more week, he's one of the best pass rushers in football right now. Um, he has, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. I'm not going to read all of them because I'm tired of just le- reading things off, but he had one game with five pressures against San Francisco the last four weeks. So I am going to read it because it just, it, again, I just want you to get the full picture. Here are, here are his pressures through week nine in each individual game. One, three, five, zero, two, zero, three, one right? So five, and then either somewhere between zero and three. The last four weeks, here are his pressure numbers. 10, six, five, and 11 in this game. I'm positive that they said that he had eight in this game. They just bumped it up to 11. My goodness, 11 pressures he had in this game. He didn't have 11 pressures until week, he, he had 11 total pressures in the first five weeks. It took him five weeks to get to 11 pressures. He just had it in this one game. I mentioned that stat that um, Zach Cruz said, where he has as many in the last four weeks as he had the entire last year. But just, it, it, I guess it wasn't until I saw it with my own eyes and how crazy this is um, that it started to click. Holy cow, this guy is just feasting right now. Anyways, at number one is Razul Douglas. I found a really cool clip for uh, laughing at the enemy, which I think we're going to do tomorrow. Uh, it's a Raiders fan who was watching the game. It was a watch party with a bunch of different fans. There was a Bears guy who was kind of leading it, and then somewhere off in the distance was a Raiders guy, and he just lost it because Razul Douglas used to be on the Raiders, and the Raiders cut him, and um, he, he must have not been there very long. Um, but anyways, so the, so the Raiders had him, and they decided to get rid of him, and he just, he lost it. He was so mad. He's like, I'm happy for Razul that he's somewhere, and he's not on this garbage team, the stupid Raiders. <laughs> oh, it's 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 glorious. It's going to be fun to listen to. 
Anyways, as far as, again, nobody really was horrible. The lowest grade on the entire defense was a 54.6. Only three guys graded in the 50s, and that's, again, sort of just below average. 54.6 was Jonathan Garvin. Here we go. Adrian Amos was 55.2, so there you go. I was wondering why he wasn't on the list of um, top safeties over the last several weeks. It's probably mostly because of this week. Let me look at his grades real quick. He actually has not had a good game in the last three weeks. 55, 51, and 61. But he had a 92 in week 10. So I don't know what his deal is the last couple of weeks, but um, hopefully he can kind of snap out of it a little bit. I don't know. Um, good run defense grades the last two weeks. So this is the first time where he had a bad everything grade. I think it's the only... No, Arizona, he also graded out poorly in every category. But that's it, Chicago and Arizona. That's weird. And it's the Bears, dude. That's that's where you got to step up. Although he's shoved it in their face more than enough. Um, and then Henry Black, which... Just shouldn't surprise anybody. That guy is just, it's, it's, it, he's, he's funny because every really bad play I feel like is Henry Black's fault. Just the last couple of weeks, every time something bad happens, it's like, dude, there's Henry Black. Like, I swear 41 is just haunting me. Every time I see a big play and then I, I just know 41 is lingering nearby, but then he'll make a big play somewhere. He'll get a pass breakup or he'll just light somebody up on special teams. And it's like, I feel bad now because I've been cursing you for the last hour and you just made a big play, and I appreciate that. But again, nothing nothing horrible. Uh, as far as run defense, uh, not nearly as promising. You had one, two, three, four, five guys that were at 50 or below, including two in the 40s. Eric Stokes and Rashawn Gary had a really bad day of run defense, which probably why he's in the 70s instead of the 90s, but it happens. Um, 12 of the 17 were 60 or higher. Most of the guys were in the 60s, but Dean Lowry with a 70.6, Kingsley Kiki with a 74, and Mr. Devondre Campbell, 87.3 run defense grade. He's picking up right where he left off. Tackling grade, again, the team does a pretty good job. Um, 11 of the 16 were pretty much good or better with Devondre at an 84. There were three guys that were terrible, though. Preston Smith, 31.8, which is too bad because his 89.9 would have been like a what, like a 94 if he had a good tackling grade? Um, but he had three missed tackles in this game, which is pretty brutal. He only had one tackle, one assist, and three misses, which is, again, pretty brutal. And one of them, again, was that really big sack that just never was because he missed them. Uh, Razul Douglas, another one, 90.6. Man, if he could have been tackling a little better, but whatever. And then Chris Barnes with a 28.9 overall grade. Um, those are the only three. Pass rush. You had, again, nobody was really bad. The worst was Jonathan Garvin with a 51.9. We'll look at the stats in a minute. Um, 67 or higher was pretty much everybody. Um, seven of the 10 were basically good or better. Kingsley Kiki, 68. Typical AS, 69. TJ Slayton, 69. Kenny Clark at 70. Dean Lowry at 78. Rashawn Gary with an 80. And Preston Smith with an 81.4 overall pass rushing grade. And then coverage, again, no bad grades of the entire team. Henry Black was the lowest at 55. Um, Kenny Clark is on here. A bunch of guys that don't matter that didn't even do anything in coverage. But as far as guys that actually did anything in coverage, uh, above that would be Chandon Sullivan, 62.5. Devondre Campbell, 66. Eric Stokes, 72. Chris Barnes, 74. Preston Smith, 77. And Mr. Razul Douglas, 90.8. Looking at the pressure statistics now, it's really just a handful of guys that contributed, but man, did they contribute. 
Um, Preston Smith with his 11 pressures, only two sacks on the day. Both of them were Preston, but 11 pressures, two sacks by Preston Smith, eight pressures by Rashawn Gary, which let me just do some math here. 11 divided by 36 is 30.5%. That is a stupid number that Preston got. Almost a third. Rashawn Gary, who flew under the radar with his eight pressures, uh, was at 20.5%, which is another stupid number. And again, it was, it, was, it was frustrating because you kept seeing these offensive linemen just get bull rushed right into Justin Fields. But, you know, if, if they don't collide at the exact same time, and, and if you're not there with two hands on the guys, he, he, he just kept slipping away. But there's no question. And, and you know, we, we hail how great the DBs were, and they really were. But there's no question in my mind that half the reason the DBs or, or the secondary seemingly did so well is because Justin Fields was under constant pressure, meaning a couple things. Number one, when you're throwing falling away or running away, your accuracy is not as, as good as it should be. He's also throwing scared. But on top of that, the timing is off. He might want to wait a half a second longer, but he can't because there's guys coming after him. After that was Kenny Clark with seven pressures. Again, comparatively, if it wasn't for Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith, we'd look at seven pressures and go, dude, that is dominant. But we're, but we're maybe not because <laughs> it's, not even, it's not even second place. Kenny Clark with a pathetic and paltry 18% pressure rate. Get a new job, Kenny. My goodness. What are you good for anyways? 18%? What are you, a Hall of Famer? Get out of my face, loser. Not even like an all-pro. That's like Pro Bowl. I'm lying, that is all pro. Then you got Kingsley Kiki with a paltry five, which on his 29 attempts is, what is that, one-sixth? He's at 16.7%. Again, dominant. Dean Lowry, basically the same. He's pushing probably 18%, five pressures on 27 attempts. Let's just do the math. I'm doing the math for everybody else. Uh, Yeah, 18.5, so 19%. And then we have a 100% pressure rate by Mr. Darnell Savage, two pressure attempts, and two pressures. So they decided to dial up some stuff for Darnell Savage. Let me look at his stats real quick. I want to know how often he's done that. Uh, pressures. He's only pressured twice once, and that was in week one. He had one pressure against Chicago in week six, one against Minnesota in week 11. We like to pressure our division rivals. He got sent twice against Chicago, so they were really dialing him up, and he got home. In fact, let's see, one, two... His pressure rate this season is four of six. He's only pressured the quarterback six times, four times he got there. I understand that you don't want to lose a guy like this as a safety, right? I mean, you're basically taking him off the field, and that's dangerous. But at the same time, this guy doesn't miss. If you need a pressure, just send him, man. He's so freaking fast. But anyways, finally looking at the uh, coverage, Devondre Campbell was actually the most targeted um, guy on our defense. Seven targets, five receptions, 66 yards, and a touchdown, 140 pass rating. Again, that's not great. Um, still only a 66 overall grade, so they must have liked what he did in other capacities. I don't really know what, but that's that's not super good. Chandon Sullivan, though, was second most target. Uh, you know what? Let's do Chris Barnes because he had more receptions. Chris Barnes and Shandon Sullivan, both five targets. Chris Barnes, five targets, four receptions, 15 yards, and a pass breakup. Excuse me, I forgot about that. <laughs> so that's as good as it gets, right? I mean, that's that. Uh, there's many ways to have a perfect day in coverage. This is one of them, in my opinion. Five targets, four receptions, 15 yards, and a pass breakup. I will take that 100 times out of 100. Shandon Sullivan, on the other hand, five targets, one reception, six yards, and a pick. 
That is, yes, that is a perfect day. Henry Black, um, and, and again, this this is, in my opinion, the worst guy in our secondary. This is what the worst guy on our team did. Four targets, three receptions, 78 yards, a touchdown, and a pass breakup. Definitely not a perfect day. 75 yards is pushing it as far as, you know, what you'd like to see, or 78. Um, and giving up a touchdown, that's not a great day, but there are worse days than that. And, and again, the vast majority of that came on a 54-yard uh, touchdown. I mean, I know you can't remove one play, but just remove one play, and we're talking, what, 24 yards? Two receptions, 24 yards, and a pass breakup? If he just didn't give up that one? Eric Stokes, whose name we just didn't hear all day. Why? Well, three targets, zero receptions. Is that a perfect day? Yeah, I would say that's a perfect day. Darnell Savage, three targets, three receptions, 32 yards. Not the best thing in the world when you have 100% reception rate. Um, but again, it's it's a low number, three three receptions and 32 yards. I mean, it, again, you can look at that and dude, say, dude, you, that's three for three for 32 yards. That's not great. What if it was three for seven? Would that be better? Would it really? If you got targeted seven times? At the end of the day, it's three receptions, 32 yards, and he didn't give up a touchdown. So that's fine. Adrian Amos, three targets, two receptions, 27 yards, and a pass breakup. And Mr. Razul Douglas, king of the day, two targets, zero receptions, a pick, a pass breakup, and a touchdown. Now, it is worth noting, and shame on me for not even really thinking about this until somebody brought it up on Twitter, we didn't mention Kevin King. And somebody said, hey, uh, what's what's going on with Kevin King? Because I didn't hear his name at all, and I didn't hear about him being hurt, and I was like, oh yeah, what did happen to Kevin King? He did play. He was not hurt. He was not out hurt. He played. He played two snaps, excuse me, three snaps, one against the run, and two in coverage. No, he didn't give up anything. That's not the point. The point is, he played three snaps in this game healthy. They just took his job from him. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things where for a while they were kind of shuffling people around, but I think Razul Douglas is to the point where they wouldn't dare take him off the field. The biggest shock to me is they're not putting him in, in place of Stokes at all. That's not because I think Stokes is bad. It's just, number one, I didn't think Stokes was that much better than Kevin King, especially the way King's been playing this year. But on top of that, it just seems weird for the Packers to just take his job away. I mean, maybe there's some lingering injuries. Maybe there's something going on. I don't really know. But um, They put him on the field. So I, in my opinion, if you're too hurt to play, you're too hurt to play. If you're good to play, go play. Two snaps is weird. But um, it really just seems like they've made a decision here. And it, 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 it seems to me the decision would be that Kevin King is gone, right? We, we knew that Eric Stokes, I mean, listen, none of this is surprising. But the point is, Eric Stokes was brought in with the eventual plan that he would eventually take over. It seems as though he just took over. Now, there's obviously a big question what happens when Jair comes back, but that's a separate issue. And, and again, maybe Kevin plays again soon. Maybe there's an injury thing. Maybe it was just a matchup thing. I don't know. But that is, that is a pretty staggering um, situation. And really, it's, you know, it, it's his first game back from injury, so you could say, well, there, well there's that. There's a couple things to note here, though. Um, his, his snaps have dropped. So you've got through the first, and, and he's had a bunch of injuries, but his first few games, 56, 56, 42, and 65, right? Starting in week 10, though, so week 9, he played 65 snaps. In week 10, 20 he played. In week 11 against Minnesota, 26. So again, the snaps went from 60s or 50s and 60s down to 20. It's also worth noting that he had a 29 overall grade against Minnesota. So real bad day as far as what PFF said. 
Uh, worst day in terms of um, it was the most receptions he gave up at four. It was the most yards he gave up at 77. He gave up a touchdown in that game, 158.3 passer rating, and he ends up getting hurt. And when he comes back, he's just not playing. So again, it, it seems unlikely that this is 100% due to performance. It feels like there has to be some kind of an injury thing. But um, again, the snap counts have declined. The uh, performance went down. The injuries are piling up. I don't know. It's 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 surprising to me, but it, at the same time, I guess it's not. Anyways, we might as well do special teams. Um, there's 37 guys on here. Like I've said in the past, pretty much everybody is right in the 60 range. Um, the only guys that were, well, let's do low first. So let's say below 55 when you're starting to get into pretty dicey territory. Ty Summers, Kevin King, who played eight snaps on special teams, which is, <laughs> I got I to gotta see how much special teams he's done now, because now I'm really starting to get curious. Is he getting relegated to special teams or has he always been there? Nope, that's brand new. Oh my goodness. He played, so his first time this entire season playing on special teams was week nine. So he hadn't been put on special teams at all. And then they're like, all right, week nine, we need a job for you. And that was also when his snaps started to decline on defense. This week, he had more snaps on special teams than, dang. And he was bad at it. <laughs> That's what really sucks. Anyways, other guys that were not good at it. Um, Josiah DeGuara, uh, Amari Rogers, not surprisingly at all. And that was his uh, punt return grades. Um, Chris Barnes, Patrick Taylor, and Malik Taylor, guys that graded out semi-positively. Isaac Yadam, who I forgot was on the team, 65 overall grade. Tipigalea at 67, Razul Douglas at 67, and Henry Black, 80 basically, 79.3, but I'm going to call it an 80. You want to know why we'll never get rid of the guy? He's the only guy on special teams that doesn't suck real bad. So there you go. Uh, Mason Crosby, six for six on extra points, made his one field goal in the 20 yard range. You want to know how to make Mason Crosby not problematic anymore? Don't make him kick in anything 30 yards or more. Problem solved. Corey Bajorquez, four attempts, 171 yards, 42.8 average. Um, net yardage was 10, which is why I've always said punting stats, pretty much every punting stat is stupid. It's, it's, it's the only position that I can think of where there is not a single stat that means anything. I mean, hang time kind of does, but it just it just depends. It's, it's, it's like trying to judge your oven based on what temperature you set it at and how long you put your food in it. Well, that's stupid. Like, I was making a roast, so I set it to, like, I don't know, 275 for, like, an entire day. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, uh, the temperature was a little weak, but it was in there a long time. Like, this this doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> like, I was making something else that set the temperature to 425 for 25 minutes. Like, well, it's weak sauce on the clock, but man, you really crank that heat up. I appreciate that. It's, you're being stupid. This doesn't make sense right? Yards doesn't mean anything because it doesn't, I mean, it depends how many times you kick it and how far you kick it and, uh, you know, whatever. Yards per attempt is kind of nice, but again, what if you're kicking from your 50? I mean, you can bang at 60 yards if you want to knock somebody's teeth out in the 15th row, but that doesn't accomplish much. I mean, there's, the only way to really do punting is to, in each and every situation, say, I want the ball to land in that spot. And based on that, it needs to go this distance and should have, I mean, you want as much hang time as is possible, but you want to make sure it gets there, right? 
So based on that, you would expect, and, and hang time is going to vary based on every single punt. You know, longest. I mean, longest can be cool. I mean, if you're kicking from your own end zone, yeah, kick it as hard as you can. I mean, the bigger that number is, the better as far as the longest punt. Because you want at least one banger. And that, that's at least one where it's like, if you got a 60 or a, a 70 sitting in there, it's a good number. But if it's low, that doesn't mean it's bad. You can kick nine times from your own 40 and it's not bad because, again, you don't want to kick it 70 yards if you're on your own 40. You know, inside the 20 kind of makes a difference, but that's not always necessarily achievable. So it's not like, you know, if you kick it four times, all four should be in the 20. If you're kicking out of your own end zone, you want me to nail it inside the 20? I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's kind of impossible. They have uh, how many were blocked, which is not the kicker's fault necessarily. Uh, What percentage and how many were returned? That can be on the punter because, again, you want hang time, but what if you want to kick it far? Well, if you kick it far, you got to have less hang time. And the odds of having your gunners down there, which, by the way, is another variable, how quickly can they get down there and, and scare the guy into calling a fair catch? It's not entirely on you. Net yardage is completely useless because it takes one useless stat, which is how far you kicked it, and then subtracts how far the other guy goes, which is dependent on a couple factors. Number one is your hang time. That's true. But then it's dependent on your guy's your gunner's ability to get down the field. It depends on their ability to tackle the guy. And it also depends on the returner's ability to do special things as well. So it it has almost almost nothing to do with the punter. So the only one that I kind of like is hang time. But again, it just, like 419 was his hang time. Is that bad? Well, it's low, yes. But that might be good depending on what he was asked to do. And I don't know. So punting stats are always stupid. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. I got to get going to uh, to Betty Town. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. We'll plan on laughing at the enemy tomorrow. We'll see if I can compile enough clips. Otherwise, we will not do that. But uh, have a good day. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye.